Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along to the Absolute Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care, available at Repco in Australia and New Zealand and other auto stores. And a man who's not available at other auto stores, he's only available at the V8 Sleuth Auto Store, Will Dale. Hello. Hello. Great to have you with me as we get get our sand down on. I've got to tell you, just been looking forward to this episode for <laughs> eh, about five years, four years. You haven't campaigned at all to have the Sandown 500 back. I've never heard you mention it once in the office, never heard you mention it once in a podcast. I mean, this, I mean... Well, I didn't go to the point of um, one of our listeners, Saren, who's a regular Sleuth fan, uh, of walking around at last year's Sandown Supercars round with a sign <laughs> saying, bring back the Sandown 500. And and credit to Saren, he's in the promo video campaign for this year's event. It's so great, isn't it? Yeah. It's so cool. So that he'll <laughs> get a chuckle to out see of that. that. Yeah. yeah, he'll get a real chuckle out of uh, not just seeing it, but us actually mentioning it as as part of all this as well. We're going to have a look at the history of this amazing endurance race. It's got a, a stop-start yo-yo history in the more recent past, but it has over time had that as part of its history well before the supercarrier as well. So, of course, um, the Penrod or Sandown 500 this year, it's back on the calendar. It's the first time since 2019 that the Melbourne Classic's been held. First time since 18 that it's been in September. Yeah. Because a lot of people will forget that it was the third of the three Enduros in 2019. We went... So weird. Yeah, I didn't like it was, that. It was so strange. So we went Pukekohe as the Bathurst lead-up, mm. Bathurst, Gold Coast, Sandown, which... Felt really weird. Oh, I would not have liked to have been a co-driver getting their first outing, proper outing at Bathurst. Welcome to Bathurst. Yeah. But it did take us back to the past because when the Sandown Enduro, and we count, I mean, it changed so much. It's been a yes. 500 since 84, but it was a 400, a three-hour, a 250. It started as a six-hour in mm. the first couple of years. It was in November. In 1964, the first one was actually held. So we did go back to history. We should. I didn't know this until I was doing a bit of research for this episode to go back and refresh myself, or not refresh myself, but to learn what actually happened in the 64 race, in the very first one that was held, because there were a few big names in that race. A few. There was heaps. Yeah. Local, like, international. Yeah. Like Sir Jackie Stewart. Not he a wasn't sir, at, sir the time. at that time. He had not quite, a Formula One winner at the time no, either. No, he hadn't had the uh, sword on the shoulder at that stage. But no. Um, was he in a Cortina? He was in a Cortina with Jim Palmer. That's right, Kiwi driver. Yeah. Um, Roger Ward, Indy 500 winner. He yeah. was in the field as well. In a Studebaker Lark as with Warren do. Weldon. Yeah. As you do. Um, it was a classic case of big cars, little cars in that first. So in six hours, they actually pumped out 230 laps, which is not bad. Like, And that was a oh, 3.1K yeah. original circuit, which the current circuit's not that far away from how it was back in, in those days. But... Probably the thing that always stood out as the regular thing that was discussed or pointed to about the first race, apart from the little Alfa Romeo uh, that won in the hands of Ralph Sash and Roberto Bussanello, who has probably the best Sandown Endurance winner's name of, of all names, <laughs> yes. um, was the Ford Galaxy that Lex Davison, Will and Alex's grandfather, put through the fence when it ran out of brace yes. <laughs> um, at the, uh, what is it now, turn four onto the back straight, which back then was... Turn, Turn two. two. Yeah, Tirana Corner, Peter's Corner, NGK Corner, whatever you want to call it, whatever sponsors. it was called. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's where it started. And and across time it evolved. And at that stage, the pre-Bathurst pre thing wasn't a part of it. it that wasn't, well, it was post-Bathurst for a start. <laughs> well, yeah, and it wasn't even really connected no. to Bathurst in any way, shape or form. And the great irony here that might, many people might not realise, so Sandown opened in 1962 we had the Armstrong 500 start at Phillip Island in 1960. So come 1963 when the race went to Bathurst, when that race was up for grabs, there was a few different places that it could have gone and mm. Sandown was one of them that yeah. was mooted in um, the magazines and the, the period of the time when you go through all that stuff. It was a contender. So history could be a very weird, strange old thing <laughs> yeah. if we had this 500-mile, 1,000-kilometre race at Sandown and – and nothing happened at 
Bathurst. I mean, you, you just can't fathom how history could have been. I think there would have been a few more cars ending up with, in the lake or the dam <laughs> with um, various brake failures over a 1,000 k's of sand yeah, out. I reckon you'd be right. I reckon you'd be very right. Uh, it really took its spot as the pre-Bathurst race in 1968. So hmm. 64, 65, six-hour races, then it went away. Then it was the light car club that brought it back in 68 as a three-hour uh, as a lead-in race to Bathurst with the same sorts of rules, the same sorts of cars. Um, and after the small cars dominated the first few years, then the big cars pretty much took over from that point. Yeah, I mean, the first, the winner in that 68 race was Holden Monaro with Tony Roberts and Bob Watson at the wheel. And from memory, might have had a bit of work done by Holden engineers beforehand. I reckon that's a pretty safe comment, I would have thought, just quietly. When yes. Holden wasn't in racing, but it was finding a way to... I think that was a Bill Patterson mm. car. That that race actually was a rolling start was in it? 1968, and I think it happened the next year too, right. which over the years, um, Sandown's had a few different starting procedures. Of course, it's been for a time up uh, down in front of the grandstand, mm. further down the straight, then they brought it further back up in front of the pits. Um, there was a couple of rolling starts. There was one year, I think it was 97, when it rained, that they actually started as a rolling Safety start car, with yeah. Brock at the front of the queue. Um but looking back at that 68 race, you've just reminded me, second place in that race mm-hmm. was a Formula One world champion. Ooh. Oh, Alan Jones. Correct. In a Holden Monaro GDS 327. Clive Millis? Correct. Wow. You're on it today. Yeah, that was right back in the, um, the old really Mine Palace. Yeah. Really impressive. So, um, yeah, it was a rolling start. And some, I mean, some of the names of, of the period are plenty of rusty French pops up. In 1968, in a human gazelle. Oh, there you go. So there's all sorts of stuff because I researched a lot of this stuff some years ago when I had that wild, crazy notion that I should do a book on the Sandown Enduro, and that was nearly 20 years ago. Mm. I'll get it done. I will get it done. I will get it done. Other things with that 68 race too. Mm. First circuit racing appearance for the Holden Dealer team. The Holden Dealer Racing Team? Holden Dealer Racing Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Spectacular though it was. Oh, are you talking about 69? I am talking about 69, oh, 69. as it turns out. HCT, yes. Spencer Martin, Kevin Bartlett with uh, a brakeless Monaro on fire at the end of the straight. Yes. You know who was sitting in the grandstand watching that? Who? Brock. He <laughs> told me about this. So when I was working on this Sandown book, um, it was 2006. I caught up with him a couple of months before his crash. And mm. I sat with him out at Hurstbridge and uh, had a good hour or so. I've got the tape somewhere. Um, got to dig that out. Yeah, yeah, I really do. And he said that he was sitting in the grandstand and he knew he had the drive for Bathurst. Yeah, and he was right. with all his mates and he hadn't told him. They didn't know. <laughs> and they're all going, oh, that Holden, oh, who would want to be driving one of those? <laughs> and he's sitting there going, oh, shit, that's me driving one of those in about four weeks, three weeks' time. So, Well, I guess it's, I guess Harry will fix it before Bathurst. Well, they got it right. Yeah. They got it right. Colin Bond, Tony Roberts won the race. But in 69, that's where the period that – and I want to talk about this – the Brock Moffat era – I mean, if you sat there now and said, hey, look, Cam Waters and Brock Feeney are going to win the next 14 Sandown Enduros or whatever it is between them, yes. you'd go, oh, boring. Mm. But that's pretty much what happened with these two. With So Moffat's, and I think this was his first factory four drive when he won in 69 with John French at Sandown. Mm. It was the Datsun 3-hour, if you're wondering what it was called at the time. Back, back before Nissan were Nissan and they were still Datsun. Correct, exactly. So... Moffat wins 69 with Frenchie. He wins 70 driving on his own solo. 71 and two of the misnomers here. Bondi wins in the Toronto in 71. Gossie mm. wins in 72 in the McLeod Ford HO face three. Yep. From 73 to 84, Brock or Moffat win every year. That's incredible. Like it's and a lot it's of them were Brock. <laughs> it's and yeah. a lot of it was Brock. I mean, he won 73, Moffat won 74, then Brock won 75 to 81, seven in a row. Yeah. Like he just owned the joint. It was yeah. seriously pay your rent to Brock the landlord at Sandown <laughs> because seriously it was – I think that one more than – I mean he dominated Bathurst in a lot of that era too. But he didn't win that many in a row at But Bathurst. nothing like that. Yeah. And then he went and added another one in 84 with Larry Perkins when the 500 started. Mm. But Moffat won 82 and 83 by that stage of the Mazda. So yeah. well, there was there's that, a whole topic there to discuss. That's what well. I was going to say. There was, what, a four-month period where Alan Moffat wasn't the winner of the 82 race? Yeah, and there was probably nearly a 40-year period where he didn't have the trophy for it <laughs> either, yes. which uh, Gricey kept. Yes. And eventually did um, hand it over to – 
to Alan George a few years ago. So, um, but it's just an amazing, and you had kind of the 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 great element where Ford and Holden, based in Melbourne, Fisherman's Bend, Campbellfield, Broadmeadows, whatever you want to call it, um, both of them were Melbourne based. Hmm. It had this perfect tribal war that you know Bathurst is so celebrated for the tribal nature of it and the. The, the pilgrims to the mountain and, and all that stuff. But hmm. Sandown had its own rusted-on motorsport mad crowd in Melbourne that, I mean, that grandstand, you look That's at That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh. That's the one thing that Bathurst doesn't really- no. We're starting to get with the big embankments down the front straight, but there's no, not really another circuit in Australia that has that big football-style grandstand no. along the main straight. No, and you fill it up. And, and, I mean, in recent years it's changed. It's You've got to pay to get in there. But in the mm. past, it was part of your ticket- Deal. You just go in yeah. if you want to sit in it. You go and sit in it. You dig out those old videos of the seventies and the early eighties. Oh man, when that field comes around on lap one, or there's the start of the race, or the end of the race, or whatever it is. More often than not, it's broccoli, yeah. which <laughs> yes. you know was pretty commonplace. Yeah. But the crowd was knowing, and such a collective of people in that one spot. That was a genuine football crowd yeah. raw type scenario. It was awesome. You look at the tapes. Go look it up on YouTube or the wherever 82, you get your hands on it. The cool. eighty-two race is the one that got me for like hearing just how vocal the crowd was. Yeah. It was off the charts. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, well, not just the start but the end too. The, the, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. and, and we're talking about in 82. So in the race, Alan Moffat claims the win. Mm. He's been penalised because he's um, sped in the pits and hit one of the roadways, uh, recar pit crew. Mm. Or was it roadways? It was roadways. Yeah. Anyway, I he, think so. He had to go down the pit lane twice yeah. for various things. He went things. to report in to receive the black flag. Went no back on the there, track yeah. and drove on and to what he thought was a race win, but they showed the flag to Alan Grice as the winner in the recar Commodore. And mm. so you, you had that whole – it was a bit like – remember um, Vettel and Hamilton in Canada the other year where Vettel was penalised oh, and, yeah. and still claimed the win and moved the one board next to him and yes. you know, all the people <laughs> lost their minds? It was a bit like that in that they both were there parading in front of the grandstand. It was like a big theatre of putting on the act of I'm oh, the winner. Great. No, I'm the winner. One of my favourite photos in all of motorsport is the shot of – like taken from behind Moffat when he's got the V for Victory signs yeah. up to the big grandstand, oh, it's booing him mercilessly. Yeah, it it's is. amazing. It's it's and you know, it's villainous theatre at its oh, finest. Yeah. Perfect. And, and you could do it again. You could do it again. You just want to be the villain or you want to be the black hat. That's oh yes, that's totally the, the fun go. part. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, later on, as you said, what months later, Moffat got awarded that win and it gave him the endurance championship victory. Mm. Because I think at that stage. Without those points, Bob Holden was going to win it. Yes. From my memory, yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, just amazing stuff. And and Brock won seven in a row from seventy five to eighty one, and that's actually um, I can't think of you know that that level of achievement is. And okay, you can argue. So you, the the thing that sticks out with Sandown right through that period, eighties, even the early nineties, not everyone went. Mm. Which blows your mind now because everyone's contracted to go. Everyone has to go. Races. Yeah, it's part of the deal. But that's where we first saw zero five. Oh uh, yeah, seventy five race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. when he, when he first um, rolled that one out um, to to win. That's probably the thing that's worth pointing out. That's well, even if you stretch it back to seventy three when he got the win in the XE one Tirana. It wasn't. He wasn't always in the best team or the best car. There was sure there was a big stretch of of um, races at the end of that streak where he was with the dealer team at the mm. peak of its powers. But mm. that seventy five win was with Gaun Hindoff. Yep. Seventy six, his own team, Brock, Bill Patterson Racing. That sort of evolved into the next mm. year. Mm. And sure, not every team was doing the doing the Sandown Enduro through that period. But there were a lot of good teams that were running competitively all through that period. Yeah, and, of course, you had when he wasn't with the dealer team, the dealer team was still there with yeah. Bond and Harvey and, and those guys too. But, I mean, he won in 76 in that car that he bought off the privateer, Wayne Mitchell, earlier yes. in the year, which was, you know, not the world's greatest car. It was a privateer car. Mm. But Wayne Mitchell, for those who are wondering, and I never put these – and I might have talked about this on the pod yes. before. Yeah, I think yeah. I have. But I never put these, th- these two elements together – that and it only clicked when I read Sam Mitchell, who's now the Hawthorne coach's book, who's formerly a player for Hawthorne and a season for West Coast that we kind of overlook. Um, <laughs> we don't talk about that. That his parents met at Calder Park over yeah, car right. racing. And so Wayne Mitchell is Sam Mitchell's dad. And um, 
he sold that car to Peter Brock, who then won the Sandown Enduro in it in that year. And then he won in 77 in the Pato A9X on debut for A9X mm. with drum brakes on the back. Didn't have the latest and greatest of brakes. So, you know, he had to get it done and he got it done. So that Brock Moffat era, I mean, I've done a little piece on it in the Sandown 500 digital official program, which is a, a free download that you'll be able to get your hands on um, in the lead up to the 500. But... We'll never see anything like that again. And isn't it ironic how we, we're celebrating it because there's so much love for those guys and that era and that period where if we had that go on in the modern era, people would be disgusted. Know, could you imagine? Oh. Things always look better through rose-tinted glasses do. though. They, they do. There's also that period where hell froze over when Alan Moffat drove for the Holden Dealer team in ah, the second yes. car in 1980. Yeah. yeah. Brock won and beat him by a lap. And I think he dinged into someone along the way, Moffat, and damaged it. But um, And then and they drove together six years later, which was completely mind-blowing. Mm. As a kid going to my first Sandown 500, that oh, was weird. Of course. Really weird. Well, going back to the 80 race, like, the whole deal for Moffat to drive with it, which in itself- It was itself, a ruse. It oh, was yeah, a total ruse. Of course. But like a massive promotional thing, like yeah, in terms yeah. of like being able to draw a crowd to an event where that first year of the revised Group C wasn't exactly the most- um, exciting or enticing. No, no. It was rather one-sided. And and no Moffat in it at all. Exactly. Not really much of a Ford presence either, full no, stop. No, Um Sure got people through the gates that day. Oh, and I think they sold Brock on the notion that, well, no, 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 Moffat's not running a Falcon at Bathurst. No, 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 he doesn't have a deal. He doesn't have a deal. Meanwhile. <laughs> Meanwhile, there was a Falcon being built. Yeah. But um, it didn't matter to Brock because I think it was done within three laps at Bathurst anyway and never in the race. So... Um, and he stole Brock's number. That's right. He did too. You did that piece on that on the website some years ago. Yeah, yeah. How did that all go down? Uh, well, Brock being the reigning national champion and previous winner of Bathurst um, had rights to – was the only driver with the right to use the number one on his car. For 1980. For 1980, um, which, of course, he didn't because he ran 05. Mm. Um, and Moffat turns up with his very quietly built XD Falcon with a number one on the side. <laughs> So, yeah. Oh, well, I don't think it really mattered too much in the end for, for PV, that's for sure. No. Um, we talked about the fact that a lot of the big teams didn't go and, and it was really and, – and a lot of the time – I mean, this race nearly died. It nearly died. I mean, it, it's been paused a few times. Yes. But it genuinely nearly died. So the light car club who um, – there was this real want to get Formula One in mm. Australia, which, of course, happened with Adelaide. But Sandown, the light car club, that was all part of that whole thing to get it to international spec was to – it needed to be 3.9 kilometres or thereabouts. Yes. And I think that's pretty much what it ended up being. Mm. So that's why that infield section went in there and all that money was spent to make the track long enough that it could host the world championship event. It did, but not Formula One sports no. cars. and. They had a couple financial of, screaming disaster times too. Yeah, I was going to say it was a financial disaster the first time, and then four years later, it was an even bigger financial disaster. Yeah, yeah, and, and it wiped out the like car club mm. um, in Melbourne. So John Davison came along, and, and massive credit to John Davison. He, for all of his faults and all of his unique traits and elements of Davo. He cared about the track. He cared about the venue. And this was an interestingly awkward one. I mean, it's where his dad died. Mm. I mean, that's the other element. It's where Lex was lost his life in the 60s. But he had passion and he had enthusiasm and he had panache and he had – he was a bit different. He's out of the box, Davo. And that's why I think a lot of people went, oh, yeah, Davo, Davo. But credit where credit's due. He grabbed that event. He rebuilt it. I mean, it ended up at the point where no one wanted to touch it from a television point of view. Mm. Um, he had a scenario where he didn't have sponsorship. So the 1988 race was the last one I think under the light car club. In 89 mm. you had the whole scenario with that the cigarette teams might not have been able to race because of the quit sponsorship deals. Yeah. So the race was 0.05, 500, which was the, the drink driving campaign um, in Victoria. And then there was no naming rights sponsor in 90. So in 89 it didn't even get on television. No. There is no broadcast. It was filmed. And I think we might have talked about this on another pod previously. Mm. So apologies if we're covering a little bit of ground. <laughs> there was a two-hour um, highlights piece of it produced, which we've got a copy of. I think we've put it on YouTube over yeah, time. it is on our YouTube channel. Yeah, um, but it was never broadcast. Ten mm. minutes of it, I think, were on Sports World Channel 7 the week after. One-hour highlights, Sunday night in 1990 and 1991. No naming rights sponsor in 90. Mm. Drink Drive um, came on board for 91, which again was the, the government 
basically. It was, it was a tiny field that year too, wasn't it? Was it was the smallest ever. The 91 field, which the Nissan GDR won by a whole six laps, I think it was from not, memory. Not the factory GTR. No, the, the um, GIO car. The Bob Forbes GIO car. Um, grand total of I think it was 17 cars turned up, two didn't start, so 15 starters, the smallest field in the history of the race. But the critical element was he just wouldn't go away, John Davison. He found a way and his timing was good though because the change of regulations happened for 92 at the end of the year with those winged cars and back mm. to the V8s. That crowd in 92, from 91 to 92, was such a massive growth surge. It was unbelievable. And he had live television on SBS for the whole race. Yeah. Like that was big, really big. Well, it was the first race for a Falcon V8 for since a long 84. time, since 84, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, that change of rules did give a real oomph push to the Sandown 500 and rebuilding it and revitalising it. But you just mentioned there, 91, the GIO GDR is the only one. Scaife was there. Um, oh, he was commentating, He's commentating yeah. the race with Will Hagen for the ABC. Um, so Gibsons didn't run. They won the 89 race with Jim and Mark. Mm-hmm. Then they didn't run a GTR ever at the Sandown 500. No. 90, 91, 92. And in 93, they didn't run their Commodore. They came back. They had, what, four years where they didn't run in the pre-Bathurst race. Yeah. But just wanted to go off and do testing themselves. One of the top teams in the category and didn't see the value in running there. Yeah, well, Dick Johnson's team skipped it for... 91. Um, that's the only one I think that they missed in yeah. that period. They had had a shocking run in 90 as well. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. But I also understood too that what's the point? I mean, a lot of those teams, their sponsorship was geared to television. Yeah. And if it was going to be a one-hour highlights or I think there was no TV coverage planned for some of those races and the last-minute deals got done to just get something, yeah. which was better than nothing, which by then was too late because some of those teams hadn't um, – um, committed to the race and couldn't do it. But 92, when it comes to grandstand sandown finishes, there's a couple that stand out. 06 with Bright and Rick Kelly. That's a, that was a good one. That was a really good one. Um, but 92 with the dude, Paul Morris, in Tony Longhurst's M3, up against Larry Perkins in the Bob Jane Team Arts VL Commodore. It's the classic David and Goliath, and it's a corker. I mean, look it up. It's an absolute banger. Oh, absolutely. Like the closing laps. And there was a bit of weather around that day too, wasn't there it? Was, been, was the track rained. drying out at that it, point? There was a dry line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to dry it out to the point where um, Larry had to go and hunt him. And it was one of those – it was a time-certain finish as Sandown has been in the past and still is. Mm. Um, but because it had rained, I think they only got 100 and – you know what, I've got it here. 136 laps they ended up Of the schedule 150. Not 161, it's worth noting. Yeah, yeah. Sandown and race distances, they've been all over the shop for <laughs> for years. It'll go in the book. It's a whole chapter on its own. Yes. Um, it'll put you to sleep. Um, perfect timing. So Larry had to go and hunt him. But then, of course, the BM's perfect under brakes into Dandenong Road. And then he <laughs> didn't he re-lunge him at turn one? Yeah. And it was Will a big Hagen, dive. The commentary's fantastic. <laughs> and, and God love Willie. He launches the well-fought, well-argued Paul Morris. <laughs> it is. Uh, we should get the audio. It's an absolute belter and it's a great – it wasn't over in one corner. No. It went for a couple of laps before, of course, the sword went down because Paul just didn't have the pace in a straight line and the V8 was able to pull away. But that's the last time you ever really got a David and Goliath battle in mm. Australian touring car racing. We really. um, Yeah. We, we talk about David and Goliath. It's probably worth noting – one of the other quirky things that John Davison did in this era um, to help bolster the field oh, wasn't just touring cars, yeah. but it was production cars in there as well. And there were plenty of people who really hated that. But mm. the reality was he needed to top up the field. Yeah. And there was a plan that got knocked on the head to do the same thing for Bathurst in 91 yeah. when the recession was really um, crippling grid numbers that there was a plan from the ARDC to do that. Well, Davo did it and he yeah. didn't just do it for one year. He did it in 92, he did it in 93, he did it in 94 Yeah, with um, I think they were called super production cars at the time, the 12-hour cars. The 12-hour 12 cars, was, yeah. I mean, Steve Richards in a Porsche 968 with Gary Rogers, there was an M3, Bondi in an RX-7. Yeah. And, I mean, those things didn't disgrace themselves. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> this is the funny thing. One of those EB2 production cars with Ken Douglas and Kent Yulden, the late Kent Yulden who we lost this year, finished fifth outright yeah. in 92. <laughs> yes. I mean – 
I love the history of this race, and I love all these unique, quirky um, elements to to them all. But um, and the other thing I think about when I think of John and Davison, that is. Mm. When they would line up the cars on the grid on the main straight, forty-five degrees facing the audience, Davo always made about the fans. Yeah, oh, I did love his ads. Remember, he used to do the print ads in magazines, and it said, "Hey, Davo, thanks for the you know like, <laughs> no, a bit of self congratulatoriness oh. is always a good thing as well." But he put he got them all you know 30, 40 minutes out from the start of the race. Drivers were all there signing. Fans all out on the track. Mm. It was a full track wall yeah. like for the front straight for the first. I don't know, 30, 40 minutes prior to the start of the race. I mean, yes, it was the 90s and you could do things that you can't do now. but um, There are lessons was, to be learned there. Yeah, it was really cool. But I'm still puzzled by the photo that I think we ran it in the Perkins car history book. When Larry's crossing the line <laughs> to win the race, yes, John's got the trophy. He's standing on the track right off to the side with the trophy up in the air as if to say, Here's what you're winning, you know, well done. But he's got a middle finger in the air. And I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm not sure if the photographer's just captured it at the point where he was flexing his fingers or uh, he's genuinely given a bird to someone. I'm not too no, sure. No, the hand was po- – I, I, don't, I don't think you'd really flex your hand with it facing backwards. It's. I think it's pretty um, pretty clear what uh, message he was giving. I, I do laugh too. If you look at those old Sandown 500 podiums from that period, I think there's one if you look really closely, James and Charles, his sons. We've had James on the pod before. Mm. Uh, in little like replica race suits, <laughs> when they're, I don't know, they're probably eight or ten or something. Yeah. And I reckon it's James because he's a shit. Um, <laughs> in one of them, and I can't remember the year, and we'll have to find the vision. Have a look, yeah. He, because he, of course, they're all spraying the champagne into the crowd, all the drivers, even Davo pops one. I think it's James goes and grabs a bottle and goes to pop it as well. <laughs> and, and John quickly grabs him and ushers him away and uh, takes it off him. But, um, oh, there's so many amazing. Memories at this of this race, and I mean, we could go on forever. There's probably a 48 part podcast to tell the history of the Sandown 500 at some point. Yes. Maybe that's a serialized um, episode planner we can do next year. But, oh yeah. Well, next year's the 60th anniversary of the first race. It is. It'll soon. be the 50th race. When you count them all up together and mm. you take out the gaps, it's 50 next year. And you include the um, GT races. Pro car races. The pro car oh, races. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was there for those. I know yeah. I got burnt by a bloody Ferrari fuel fire. Oh, jeez. Yeah. 2000 and... One or two. Mm, just trying to think which year it was. I was... I think it was 02. Oh, maybe it was 01. Mm. I think it was 01. Mm. So it was... Of course, the Sandown 500 ran to the end of 98. Then V8s went and took the option to take the 500 to the Queensland 500, um, Queensland Raceway. With a bit of um, Queensland state government money that helped bring that one over the line. Yep, stole it, totally stole it. Um, I mean, Avesco went and took a race with all that history and gave it to a track that hadn't been built. No sacred science. Yeah, well, well, don't start me. (laughs) Don't start me. Um, Of course, after four years, what happened? They went back. Yes. And it's funny that in, in V8 supercar history, I mean, in Sandown 500 history, those two pro car races in 01 and 02 absolutely are Sandown 500s. Well, they were. That's, that's the end of the end of the matter, though. Yeah, like, absolutely. And what not a lot of people will understand is that the Sandown 500, and I don't think it's still a registered trademark, but it was the Victorian Amateur Turf Clubs. Hmm. So it wasn't supercars. It wasn't anybody else. It was the Melbourne Racing Club or the Turf Club or whoever it was at the time. Um, actually owned the name Sandown 500. But they were interesting races because they brought it back to the class format, Nations Cup cars, GT performance, GT production. Um, there was some cool stuff in them, but I think it was 01 that one of the Prancing Horse Ferraris um, had a, fl- a flash fire and I was doing the PA commentary in the pits and, of course, back in the day, no race suits, no uh, nothing of course, else. Yeah. I think I had peroxide blonde hair at the time too, so... You wouldn't have been able to tell if it was on fire or not, but um, <laughs> that, that got our attention pretty quickly. That was the year John Bow one with Tom Waring, the British Hong Kong-based investment banker, who's probably the most forgotten Sandown 500 winner in history, I would have thought. No, I think that's a fair call. Because mm, you looked at me then as if to go, huh? Yeah, yes. <laughs> but there was a great fight at the end there, Neil Bates in the Steve Webb Porsche chasing uh, JB down for the win. Steve Webb, of course, Jono's dad. Yep, correct, yep. Um, Techno Porsche. 
Um, that was the year Stephen Johnson drove the Lambo with Paul Stokel, but it busted a front suspension joint. Ah, yes, yeah. Sort of arrived at Sandow, l- arrived in the pits on three wheels. Yeah, yeah. I think it was limping around with one scraping on the ground. They were cool races. The Lambo won the next year with Anthony Tratt and Paul Stokel. Um, and Very famous just, pole sitter in oh, that 2 year as how, well. How have I not gone there? Sammy Newman, yeah. the, the footy show's own, um, he got pole in 02 in a Ferrari because it rained. Like during after, the shootout, his after he'd done his lap. <laughs> yes. And he somewhat embarrassingly ended up on um, pole position. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So, what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego the number two, and oil, and find out. So this year, the shootout's back for the first time in the Sandown 500 since 2007. That's how long ago it was. Jeez. Mark Winterbottom had pole for FPR. James Courtney qualified second. So we could repeat. They're both in the field this year. That's a good point. The, the odds of them doing that for this one versus that one are probably a little bit longer. Well. But you never know. You never know. Uh, are you sad to see the qualifying races go? Look, I did like the idea of having a bit more action on the Saturday of the race meeting. Like having two extra sprint races was quite a bit more fun. Yep. Um, but I do like a shootout. Me too. And there were so many of the whole what's a race when it's not a race, it's part of qualifying, so it's not a race win. Oh, there are points? Yeah. Oh, there's points. There's points, but there's no points. Yeah. Oh, my God, it was just a screaming wreck. They just could never get it right, could they, on how that should have been presented to just make it all fit in the record books perfectly. They got nicely. it right for a few years and then they, then they changed, changed their it. mind again yeah. <laughs> and got oh, it wrong. God. Um, anyway. Shootout histories at Sandown. Take me back. What was the first one? Was it 86? 86, the Castrol Qualifiers. Oh, I love it. I love a different name. Yeah, see, to, to just a top ten shootout. In my head, I thought it was the Castrol Chargers until we looked this up today. Okay. Castrol qualifiers. Yeah, right. And yeah. Brock got polled, didn't he? In he sure did. Oh five, but the next year, I mean, we've had top fifteen shootouts at Bathurst, and um, when Supercars was in the COVID period, where they wanted to just help extend the TV broadcast time and mm. put some more content out there. The next year, we got sort of somewhere in between. The Deluxe doesn't. Oh, I love it. I love it, and it rolls off the tongue quite well. Too. Yeah, the Deluxe dozen, which actually had fifteen different cars entered for it at huh? various stages. What do you mean? Well, this was the year that Andrew Medici and Don Smith had their Sierra on provisional pole after qualifying. Oh yes, and then Don rolled it at turn one and did. R- destroyed it. So that car was out of the race meeting. Which then and that's pr- before the Deluxe dozen. That was before the yeah. Deluxe dozen. Yep. Um, so just going through some of the notes in our AN1 data database with this. The fastest 12 cars were to qualify for the shootout, though the fastest 12 cars from qualifying didn't compete for a range of reasons. Medecki, of course, so didn't make it through. They smashed the car, yeah. Um, their teammate should have been promoted, actually, into the, the um, number 34 Sierra of Bruce Stewart and John Giddings. Um, but they had engine problems in qualifying and couldn't take part. Oh, so you just got to keep going down the list to get to someone to get in the field. Yeah. Um, the Also, the number 18 Dick Johnson Racing, Shel Sierra of Neville Crichton and Charlie O'Brien, I think, was in that car. Was um No, was Neil Lowe. Neil Lowe. Oh, it was Neil, Neil Lowe. Lowe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Neil Lowe, often remembered as being the team manager at DJR in that period, was quite a handy driver. In yeah. He was well. second at Bathurst the previous yeah. year with John Harvey. Yeah. Um, they'd had mechanical issues in qualifying as well and they couldn't take part. So the 14th and 15th fastest cars- Got in. Got in. Uh, who were, I think, Murray Carter and Warren Cullen. Yeah. Um, and also worth noting that one of the cars that took, one of the drivers that took part in this shootout, one N. Crompton. Oh, yeah, in the second mobile car. He Des- got his way in there. Despite the fact that he wasn't the one who qualified the car. And a lot of people going, oh, they're just doing it to do it for telly and whatever, whatever. But He didn't finish last. That's the important hey, thing. They finished fourth in the race, he and John Crook yeah. too. And worth noting that then after that shootout happened, Dick Johnson set the fastest time. Um, car 17 blew up in the warm-up and That's didn't right. start the race. And he stepped into 18, didn't he? Yeah. And then just went like a demon in the first 10 laps and blew them all away. Yes, and then, and then it blew up. Then the team blew its fourth engine of the weekend. <laughs> that terrible Victorian fuel. Oh, and Dick had a, a real sand down hoodoo. 
Yeah, I mean, he, I think, he really had a hate hate relationship yeah, with the race for a long he'd, time. He'd been going there for the injury, I think, since '76 ish or somewhere yeah. thereabouts. And there's a couple of years he missed along the way, but oh man, he just couldn't get a break. Could he? It took until '94 mm. when he and John Bauer won. To finally win the thing. Well, what was it? 81 shock absorber dramas. Had a spin at turn one. Yeah. 82 was XE Falcon, just wasn't a good car. 83 XE Falcon. Didn't it get like. First lap. First out, lap. Clutch. Because the clutch was full of mud because that From was the, the year the paddock That's the was. Story. Yeah. 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 Um, broke in 84. Yeah. Pole in 85 and the Mustang broke. Going like a blur. Yeah. Broke in 86. Broke. Blew up in 87. JB had to get it on the starter motor to get out of the pits in 88 to roll to the finish line to get yep. third. Because they had water pump led. issues and various other things. 89 was going was on track to potentially win and then had a turbo issue. Then I think both cars blew think, up in 90. Yeah, didn't run in 91. 92. Blew up in 92. Blew up early. 93, the throttle had an issue Throw when cable, JB was at the ca- in the car. That's him. McConville was the third driver in it. That's the one. Um, and then that brings us to 94. And they actually started P nowhere. They were 15th on the grid. Yeah. Because it rained in qualifying yeah. on the Saturday. And they didn't go out in time to make the best of the conditions. No, and Brock had pole in a return for him with a factory Holden, which had got the locals up and about big time. Mm. But And then JB and DJ go back and win the next year. So he took all those years to win and then the floodgates opened. So yeah. he got and another his, win. And his son was on the podium too. And it was Father's Day yeah. that year. And I didn't go to that one. I missed that one. Because right. that was my race meeting. That's the one we went to mm. as a family. 86 was the first one we went to and I missed 89. I can't remember why we just didn't go, Dad didn't yeah. go or whatever was going on or we couldn't afford it or whatever was happening, I'm not sure. And then I was filthy we didn't go in 95, but it was Father's Day. So we did the Father's Day thing with family in Ballarat mm. and had to just sort of act like I cared and I was too busy watching TV <laughs> to watch the race. <laughs> well, it was an all-four um, podium that day, which I don't think would have sat well with the young A. Noonan. Uh, no, I was a Brock fan, but um, he was Gonski early in that one. And, um, yeah, that was... That was the end of the SBS era too because for 96 oh, yes. it went to Channel 10. It yes. was kind of the prelude to what became the broadcaster of what became V8 Supercars. But I, I was at every Sandown 500 from 86 bar 2. I went to both the Proco ones and then every V8 one that's been held since. That 96 race, just on the topic of um, going back to the topic of good finishes, like oh, with Lounsey yeah. running down Glenn Seaton. Yeah. And Seaton probably would have had him covered until it dropped, until the engine dropped onto seven cylinders. Yeah, I think he got him with what three to go, four to yeah, go, something like that. Yeah, it was very close to the end. And going back to the topic at the start of the, the pod, when you hear grandstand roar, I mean that was peak Lounge mania. Like oh, he yeah. was just this young, fresh, new bloke. He's in a hole and he's kicking ass. He's won the championship. And when he, I remember vividly, he hooked it up the inside coming onto the main straight over and under Glenn mm. and just stood on it and got up the inside and got the run. So he gets the pass done in front of the people, like yeah. the best place to do it, oh, sand yeah. down. And they lose their minds and go <laughs> apoplectic because he goes, uh, dives it up the inside at, uh, at turn one. So great, great memories of the, I could, I could name 10 times that the, the whether I've seen it, live with my own eyes and ears and heard it with my ears, not seen it with my ears, um, <laughs> or seen it on TV and on video, the roar of that crowd is, is something intense. And, and and speaking about talking about seeing it on video, I can't remember. We might have to do some of your finest work through the TV guides available online. Oh, yes. When was the first Sandown Enduro broadcast? That's I, a really I actually good have never asked or pondered this. Gut feeling says... In terms of live broadcast or just yeah, broadcast? Yeah. Live broadcast might have been 82. No, no, no. Oh, no, the There's ABC. ABC. Yeah. Yeah, it was ABC. Back when it was um, – I've seen 76. It's on one of those classic Australian touring car yes. DVDs. Yeah. I've seen a little bit of film of 73, very brief snippet. Beyond that, you know, in terms mm. of actual race event coverage, maybe ABC for a couple of years prior to that. But the other thing was right into the 80s, it was a bit like the cricket. Mm. Like if the cricket was on the MCG – no television, television blackout, was blackout yeah. because they didn't want people to not come. And, and Sandown was the same. So for many years I always thought there was only like a 40-odd minute highlights of some of those 80s <laughs> races, but it was because you're in Victoria. Yeah. You, know, you got it late at night, whereas if you were elsewhere, you got the full day. So there's people who turned up and sent me DVDs burnt DVDs of three and a half hours of coverage that I never <laughs> knew existed. It was, um, it was all very, very cool. So um, And TV is a big part of it, of course, that Channel 10 deal kicked into V8 supercars. 
that then ran through and it's, of course, been a Supercars 7 Fox scenario. It's on Fox exclusively this year in KO. It's not a Channel 7 um, free-to-air round. So this would have to be the first time that the 500's not been on free-to-air ever yeah. since it's been on television. Yeah, yeah. Exclusive. I mean, it's clearly been on Fox Sports concurrently with 10 or um, 7 in the previous rights era. But yeah, we go back to, what, 89, the last time it wasn't on oh, yeah, free-to-air. Yeah, 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 when there wasn't anything on anywhere. Yeah. So um, quite staggering. Quite staggering that I mean the lead-in race to Bathurst, yes, the one that is yeah. earmarked as the oh yeah this all roads point yeah, to the mountain after correct, this yeah correct and, and and it's I always have read and heard the argument that yeah but the footy finals are on well you know what there's actually a bye weekend now in AFL mm-hmm. where they finish the last round and then have a week off yep. wouldn't that be the perfect period like so as I mean, we this, re- and this weekend come well sorry go on yeah I was gonna say as we re- we're recording yes. this um. <laughs> the week prior to race week because we've got such a busy race week. But just the weekend gone previous to the one we're talking in, and if you're listening, you'll know which one it was, there's no AFL on. Hmm. Why wouldn't you run the Sandown 500 that weekend? And that weekend is the traditional Sandown 500 weekend rather the, the than- The first one. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. Rather than the mid-Sandown race yeah. weekend. And even if, though, you run it on a weekend where there's footy finals on, there's, there's only four games in the first week and there's two games the second week. Yeah. So the reality – was it three games? Oh, two teams are out. Two teams have the week off. Yeah, there's two games in the second week. I should know this. I'm from Queensland and my yeah, team's yeah, North Melbourne. Yeah, whatever. Mate. I don't need to worry whatever, about it. Yeah. Whatever. The thing is they play generally at night. Yeah. And some of them will be interstate teams. So if you'd had the Sandown 500 on this weekend that we're recording this, last week to when you're listening to this – in terms of when the games are being played, there's a Thursday night game, a Friday night game, a Saturday game in the afternoon, but it's whatever, and then yeah. Sunday, not a problem. So it's a real fur- – what I'm saying is it's a real furphy. The whole, yeah. oh, but the footy's on and in the way and whatever. Look, from a broadcasting perspective too, there's multi-channels. Yeah. Fox have got a million channels. Seven have got seven, mate. You know, yeah. seriously. Got to find a way to – I understand that seven only wants six rounds – um, that they can get from Fox, but got to find a way to make sure that the pre-Bathurst race is is one of those for sure. Sure. Um, I mean, it's a different era to when Brocky was getting updates on how Collingwood were going on the pit board during during the race. I was in qualifying one year, um, I think it was 89 when he was in the Sierra. Yes, yeah. They were giving footy because Collingwood was playing a final, I think at Waverley, and it yeah. was the year that they, in, oh, no, in 90 they won the flag. Maybe it was that year. It wasn't the grand final week, but it was in the lead up. And they were giving him score checks. On the lip on the lap board during qualifying, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to just keep him in the loop. Which oh, um, eighty nine was the year where Collingwood dipped out on that Saturday, so oh, they stuck maybe a Mel- that was the year. to Melbourne and they stuck a Melbourne flag on the car for race day. That's right. To wind if him you've up. seen a photo of that <laughs> and you've wondered what that's all about, that's what it's all about. Yeah, it reminds me too. And you know the great thing about these pods that we've been doing this year, when we're talking about the history of the upcoming round, the track, the event. We we do a little bit of preparation, but not much because I like it to be, uh, I like it to flow, and I yeah. like us to think of things on the fly. And you've just reminded me by talking about Brock again that people get the shits big time when we talk about him winning nine Bathursts, and they go, "Oh yeah, but he jumped cars in two. He jumped cars four years in a row at Sandown <laughs> yes. in eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, and ninety one, and." And, and he, he did, did in, in 83, 83, but it just didn't, they wasn't didn't in get, the rules. They didn't get their paperwork in. Yeah, no. He finished third on the track with Harvey, but they got boned. But in 88, he jumped out of the, the lead BMW because it had been delayed. Yep. So this was – let me let me go through this. So <laughs> yeah. he bails on 05 and leaves it to Jim Richards uh, and David Parsons, gets in with Crompton in seven, but that one dies. Hmm. So he finishes seventh in the 05 car according Having to the results. started it. Yeah, yeah, to the results. Um, 89 in the Sierra, he's with Paul Radisic because um, Andy Rouse is unavailable for Sandown. And that was another common element where big-name European drivers couldn't do Sandown, but they could do Bathurst. Oh, yeah. Cleland couldn't do it with Pinnacle one year. Tom Kendall couldn't do it with DJR. That was a really common storyline. Well, David Brabham couldn't do it with FPR one year, so Cam McLean Cam got, McLean another, got another go. That's right, he did too. Um so the Sierra, his Sierra was out quite early. He jumps in the 105 car with Bradley Jones and Mark Larkham. Yes, yeah. Larko. And Larko wearing Neil Crompton's spare helmet. Oh, yes. Because he had some issue with his own. Anyway. Oh, I think 
the windscreen was oh, they badly did, cracked. They took the windscreens out of the 105 car that Which year. makes me, was was Larko in Crompo's helmet or Brad Jones in Crompo's helmet? Because oh. Brad wouldn't, I don't know whether he ran a visor in those oh, days because he had like Brad on that. Like, yeah, 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 just so as we all knew who it was. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, the 105 car finished seventh in 89. So he's he's jumped ship twice here in a row and finished seventh. We're, we're moving on Either towards- Either with the car that he jumped yeah. into or he started with. We're rapidly approaching my favourite race this result is, here. You have to talk, tell the story. You so tell the story. 1990, if you look at the results from the Sandown 500, Peter Brock finishes second and fourth. <laughs> it's the best story ever. It's, so, again, the 05 car, I think it was a front strut issue that it struck early in the 90 race. So he hops in car six and joins Charlie O'Brien and they go on to finish second. In the meantime, 05 gets repaired. Andrew Andrew Medici hops in or is joined by Skippy Parsons and so they who, go on to finish they were fourth. supposed to – Parsons was originally the co-driver in car six. The six car, yeah. Yeah. Of course, found himself without a car – without a drive in that car. So into 05 he gets and, um, yeah, second and fourth. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a quirky, weird, unique – because pretty much whenever someone jumped cars, it's because their car was dead. Yes. So the car they started in is a DNF and they finish where they finish in the car they jump into mm. or they DNF in both. Yes. But that both actually finish is kind of a um, massively quirky thing and finish so high yeah. in the race. So in 91, guess what happened? <laughs> uh, something went wrong with he, 05. He did it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that thing was in the pits really early and I think it was something to do with the throttle or something. So he goes, right, I'm out. Larry, 11, I'm in your good, thing. Good news, LP. So he Sorry, dives Thomas. In, yeah, he dives into 11 um, and charges on and gets in a ripping scrap with Gricey in the HRT car and then they both blow up mm. within laps of one another and park nose to tail on pit straight. <laughs> So he's he's that one's gone. Yeah. And the zero five car pressed on and they get blew up with oh, I don't know, thirty laps to go or something and it didn't finish. So but and, really And in, that was the end of cross entering. You no, couldn't do it after ninety two. No, no. No, 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 no. Oh, Fine, really? sir. Could you do it in ninety two? Well, I don't think anyone did it in ninety two. Brock only had one car in the race <laughs> yes. in 92. Significant disadvantage to jumping in another car when you don't have one. It's a bit tricky. Mm. Although having said that, could do that, Alan Moffat did swap cars to another team in 1980 when he was cross-ended into the Bob Morris car. Oh, Bathurst, Bathurst, yeah. No, so remember that 92 at Bathurst was the first year that you couldn't do cross-entering? Yes. Remember Brock snapped the tail shaft on the grid, couldn't, couldn't leap in into 55. the other car? Yeah. Correct. In 93 at Sandown, Thomas Mezzera, oh, our yeah. close personal friend, a friend of the pod has been on before. If you haven't heard the Eps, you've got to have a listen. Hmm. He sets pole position in the Holden Racing Team Commodore. He lasts four laps and the thing's dead. So he jumps in a car 16 because the rules for Sandown. So at this stage and not till the end of the 90s, these races aren't part of the championship. Hmm. They're their own races. ARDC runs Bathurst. John Davis and his team run Sandown. It's in the regs in 93 that you can jump cars. So Thomas jumps into 16, but that's not that's the bit everyone forgets. Yes. <laughs> because they go, oh, it's got oil on the screen. So they throw buckets of water at it and it goes bang. Which if you're going to do that, the car needs to be going past slowly. Slowly. Not yeah. Ideally on the pit lane side of the pit lane wall. Yeah, and it's um, one of the things that – Davey Mac, Dave McDermott is a long-time HRT guy in the period. He's the guy who threw the bucket. <laughs> There's the a claim to fame. Yeah, yeah. which um, I think it still rolls to this day that people bring it up. But famously, it smashed the windscreen. Thomas had to pit, you know, get Check it all cleaned screens, up, yeah. um, drop the visor and uh, and send it. But he, Bradley Jones, that is, and Gricey, because Alan was drafted back in that weekend because Wayne Gardner had been benched. Mm. Because basically, I think John Crennan found out that he was trying to grab sponsors and set up his own team, so he um, he parked him. But, I mean, all these weird things that you go that would never happen today. Like a driver's bench by the t- like. Could you imagine next weekend, as we record this, this weekend as you're listening? Yes. You know, a team benching one of its star drivers, who's a former world champion. I mean, one of the highest profile drivers yeah, on the grid. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing yeah. scenario, and and that was the last time we saw cross-entering for an Australian touring car endurance race. That was the last time in 93 that anyone hmm. did a bit of car leaping. Um, we talk about um, international drivers not being available for Sandown. Who was the fourth member of that HRT driving squad that weekend? Because it wasn't Wynn Percy. In 1993. In 93. Yeah, Michael Preston. Yeah, his one and only um, 
round start. He didn't actually yeah, he didn't actually get to drive the car at all. Yeah, and of course he'd been a gun in production cars and mm. he drove with Kevin Waldock at Bathurst and yeah, he'd got the opportunity to drive with, with HRT. Um, and he was, I think, the reserve driver for Bathurst that year. But, mm. um, yeah, Wynn was Nissan British Touring Car driver that year. So I don't think he was available for Sandown, yeah. uh, which Cleland wasn't because Brock had Charlie O'Brien. Mm. So um, – but I'll, and I, it's, it's only sprung into my mind because it's 30 years ago this year, the 93 race. So it's the first real proper V8-era Sandown 500. Um, Jeff Brabham and Skippy Parsons won it in the second Peter Jackson car. It's the year that Brabham won Le Mans, which mm. is – Pretty good year all round. But when we did our Ballarat talk night earlier in the year with Crompo, one of the guys in the crowd, and I saw his name pop up on the ticket list, <laughs> Bob Jones, hey. runner-up in the 93 <laughs> 500 with Greg Crick and the Ampole Max 3 Commodore, one of the most loved privateer drivers and cars of Australian touring car history. Um, they finished second overall that day in the race. It's it's easily forgotten that that, that race was a massive, massive race of attrition. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. None of the guns finished. No, they all blew up. Yeah, which was I mean, that one that lone GSR Falcon mm. that won the race. I, I think even they struck trouble at one point. I think everyone did. I mean, the second Brock Advantage racing car, the, the yellow Quicks car. Remember mm. that? Troy Dunstan and Steve Harrington. Yeah, uh, like pumping out smoke and limping out to go and limp around for the last lap or so to be officially third. Yeah. I mean, it was just a. Um, a really strange, unique scenario that was that was unfolding with with that one. But um, I'm also looking through the the list, and there's so many notes, there's so much stuff, and we can't get through it all. But we want to um, bring back some of these memories for people who've probably not thought about some of this stuff for a, a long time. So you got Brock with nine, yep, nine wins. Um, you've got, and that's of Sandown Enduros, that is, yes. Craig Lowndes has six Sandown Enduro wins, equal with Moffat. Yes. But Lowndes is a nine-time 500 winner because, remember, uh, he won yes. two at Phillip Island with Scaife and he won the 2000 Queensland 500 with Scaife. That's a very good point. he could have and should have won the 09 500 at Phillip Island when the tyre delaminated on the last lap. But alas, he didn't. But he didn't. And in 08, he and Jamie Wincup were right there at the front late in the race too. He could be very easily a 10 or 11-time 500 winner. And don't mm. forget... That we've had a couple, what well, no race since 2019, which he won with <laughs> yes. Jamie Winkup. So, you know, in those years, who knows what could have happened had we had it? But it's just a, it's a phenomenal record. It's stunning. Oh, for sure. And I mean, also swings and roundabouts, though, because that 2019 win with Jamie Winkup might not have happened had their teammates Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander not had a suspension failure with 11 laps to and go. They were in front, yeah, and really dominating that race plenty of cases of what could have been and should have been at Sandown for cars that have failed late in the race which mm. is um you know famous at Bathurst and and I I did sit down when I was pondering about I wasn't pondering I was starting to pull together the bits to write the book and I actually thought it was sort of a working title but it's sort of apt for the race and what it is in the shadow of a mountain oh, that's nice. sort of I in like the that. shadow of yeah, Bathurst yeah. all the time but it's it's got its own Really interesting history. The more that you delve into it and and have a look, but um, it's nice that it's forever linked. Yeah. With with the other one, it's not just sitting on its own. It's kind of Sandown Bathurst. They're they Batman Robin. They're you know they sort of link together. They're they're forever intertwined, regardless mm. of what, where, why, how. And so funny that the ra- lap the sh- lap distance yeah. for each race is the same with one hundred and sixty one yeah. because Sandown's three point one kilometers. Bathurst is 6.2, yeah. double the length of the track and the race, same number of laps. So funny. It's funny how that's all worked out. But the great irony is there's been so many years where we didn't do 161 because of oh, time no. certain <laughs> yeah. or delays with barriers and, you know, there's been plenty of repairs down at um, the end of the back straight that delayed things. And, yeah. Um, it's one of those scenarios that's just kind of how it sort of has unfolded. Um one thing that people – and I mentioned before about how it wasn't a round of the championship till 99, the Enduros of V8s. Mm. But the Sandown Enduro of 76 and 77 and all the Enduros, I think, by Bathurst were concurrently part of both the Endurance Championship and the Australian Touring Car Championship just for something a bit more different and confusing. <laughs> and that was around the time too where what was the Hang 10 400 then at Sandown mm. in 76 and 78 – was basically the support race for the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah. Like the 76 race 
the 76 Grand Prix that was won by John Goss, because he was focused on that, he couldn't drive his touring car. So he called up Jim Richard and say, hey, mm. do you want to have a steer of this thing? Yeah, yeah. And I think Jim led at the front early Yeah, on he got a ripping start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you had all these. Oh, we had Fangio there in 78. Fangio in 78. I mean, he was like massive, like huge, yeah. off the charts huge with how popular that was. Um, and that was in the era of promotion, real promotion, mm. where get a draw card, promote the hell out of it, and, you know, bang. There's there you your go. crowd. Yeah, I mean, I've seen photos from my old man from back in the day of because you could go and park and watch on the infield, mm. which hasn't been, oh, geez, I think it's probably the early infield. 80s. Oh, geez. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Oh, right. man, it was huge. People everywhere, cars everywhere. It was, and you know, once you were in, you were in for the day. Oh, yeah, like yeah, you couldn't yeah. just, excuse me, can I just Duck pop out, out the out, tunnel you know? at the causeway? Just got to go yeah. to the gents. Can I yeah. just pop over at turn six? Um, didn't really happen that way. Big shunts. What springs to mind at Sandown for you for big shunts? We've already mentioned the Galaxy going off it, um, and I think one of the Tiranas, I think Wayne Negus ended up in there one year. Yeah, in the, the Bob in, Forbes car in the dam. Yeah, um, over the back there had a brake failure. Um, one that pops into mind. Purely because I'd seen a photo of it, which we'll share on socials. Um, the 71 race, John Walker put his Tirana into the causeway and got bogged and couldn't get back out. <laughs> this is, yeah. Um, it's surely, it's got to be the crashes at the end of the back straight at the S's. Mm. The 2016 one with James Golding. Yeah. That was a monster hit when he just was unaware that he had a yeah. deflating front tyre and Straight went off. to turn in and off he went. And then Taz Douglas having roughly the same thing happen 12 months later. It was. Two and big shunts. Was, was it 17 in the quality race that Todd Hazelwood went on his head at uh, the end of the back straight in the cool drive massive. car? You know, the great irony is it's come full circle where he was Tim Blanchard's co-driver then. Yes. Now Tim is his co-driver this year. Yeah. It's sort of funny <laughs> how it all works out. But, I mean, he was so lucky. So oh, yeah. lucky. That was big. Yeah. Really big. He and Jonathan Webb got together at the end of the back straight in a – one of those ones that probably just didn't need to happen, no. quite frankly. It, it, Tail end of a qualifying race, the co-driver qualifying you know, race. P17 yeah. or whatever it was, it was sort of not um, not too kosher kosher, but um, it happened, he got out and that car was um, never to race again, which BJ, I've had a couple of those over the journey. Yeah. Is that the one, one that got turned into a simulator? Off the top of my head, I can't remember. It might have been, or it might have been originally going to be and they used a different one, I can't remember, but... There was a few to choose from. Yes. For, yeah. So Tony Woodward, who is Andre Heimgartner's engineer, a couple of years ago took one of their crash chassis and has turned it into a sim, mm. um, which is pretty cool. We oh, did yeah. a story on it at the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, off the top of my head, um, I'm not quite sure which one was which, but there was a few to choose from uh, back in the day, which is um, not a good thing, is it, for, for BJR? But Not when you're paying for them. They seem to be that team that has that sort of luck. So hopefully that's changed um, yes. for these big endurance races that are that are coming up. So uh, this weekend we're going to be at Sandown. It is the 500. There's plenty of great supports on too, by the way. Uh, Dunlop Series, there's some interesting um, young generation drivers coming through there in Super 2, Super 3, a uh, bit of Porsche Carrera Cup action, bit of Toyota 86s. Uh, we will have the V8 Sleuth bookstore there in the merchandise alley at the bottom of the grandstand. Uh, the brand new Triple Eight book, which we've just recently released, is out. We'll have copies there. Make sure you come along and grab one of those. Uh, lots of people asking too, Will, about the Penrite or Sandown 500 official program. Yep. Uh, there will not be a print edition this year. We were keen to do one. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen that way. It will be a free digital download, but we've got some beefed up content in there for you with all the driver profiles, all the statistics, um, some other bits and pieces to read as well for the, the gaps in between races. It'll be available to download from the regular issue website where we put up those programs or just come to our website and you'll find yeah. it in an embed anywhere. So should be up by the time you're listening to you listen to this, it'll be up and about and um, online for you to download and read in your own time as a PDF or you can click online and just flip through the, the flip book and, and read it there as well. Um, thanks, Will. It's been good fun. Yeah, enjoyed it, it. It probably outlines the fact that we could probably do a whole pile of sand 500 stuff. So if next year's the last race or even if it's not, it's still an anniversary year, we might be able to put something together with you delve a bit deeper into some of these stories or tell you some of the ones that haven't um, been done before. Next week on the pod, really excited for this chat, is a guy who, making a segue here, made his V8 Supercar debut in a Sandown fight. Ah, yes. Remember who we went The went HRT driver, perchance, drove with Jim Richards. Yeah. 
James Courtney. Correct way. James Courtney on the V8 Sleuth podcast next week. And this is James like you've never heard before. Open, honest, frank, quite frankly, a little loose. <laughs> I've got to tell you. Um, we'll have a double dose of James Courtney on the V8 Sleuth pod next week as we build up towards the Repco Bathurst 1000. We talk DJR and Championship Year. We talk his younger years living overseas. We talk his period with Walken Shores. We talk about big shunts. We talk about all sorts of stuff, and it goes off on a few tangents as well, which is what happens. In <laughs> it's a bit of bit of facts chat in there as well. And there's a bit of facts chat. Let's yeah. just say I dug something from the archives that was something he'd not seen since probably since he sent it. Yeah. Since he sent it, exactly. How did I get my hands on it? You'll have to listen to the pod and find out. Right, that's us done. Uh, look forward to seeing so many of you at the 500 at Santa this weekend. Hopefully the weather is on our side for a ripping 500 Ks and 161 laps. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this flashback through Sandown Touring Car Enduro history. We will see you at the 500 and chat to you again next week. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.